Hello there. Welcome back to Running the 615 Podcast. This is your host, Drew Jones, and you are listening to episode 15. Today, our guest is a living legend. Bob Kennedy is considered one of the best American distance runners in history. He was born in Indiana, grew up in Ohio, and then returned to Indiana for college, where he has lived ever since. Bob is also engaged to Christy Beth, who owns Fleet Feet here in Nashville, and a lot of you know well. She is one of my favorites, of course, and was also guest number one here on Running the 615. Bob has so many running accomplishments, it's hard to know where to even start or finish. I did my best to touch on several different parts of his running career, but again, there is a lot to choose from. To me, what is most impressive about Bob's running career is the longevity that he had. Some runners are successful in high school or college or even professionally. Bob was super successful in all of them. Bob's running career spanned over 20 years. Here is a list of some of his running accomplishments, and it's a long one. In high school, he won five state titles. In college at Indiana University, he won two NCAA championships in cross country. He won 16 Big Ten titles in track. He won an NCAA championship in the 1500 and another in the mile. He won another title at the USA Track and Field Cross Country Championships, then won the same title again 12 years later in 2004, which is amazing. Bob ran in the 1992 Olympics and then also ran in the 1996 Olympics for the USA, both in the 5000. As a professional runner, he went on to win four USA track and field national championships, all in the 5,000. He won those in 1995, 1996, 1997, and 2001. Here are a few of his personal best times. 338 in the 1500, 356 in the mile, 730 in the 3,000, 811 in the two mile, 1258 in the 5,000 and 2737 in the 10,000. Three of those personal best were former American records. So yeah, to call Bob's running career a success would be a huge understatement. My favorite part about Bob is just how cool and humble of a guy he is. That was certainly the case the first time I ever met him, which is an awesome story. I'll set the stage for you. It's September 2014. Bob is living in Indianapolis and Christy Beth is living in Nashville. And they decided for their first date that they were going to meet in Louisville and uh, have a bite to eat and some drinks. As luck would have it for them, I was also in Louisville that weekend. I was out with a crew of people and we randomly show up at the same bar restaurant that Bob and Christy Beth were at. By this point in the evening, I've had a Bud Light or two, so of course, when I saw Christy Beth, I was super excited. I went right over to them and started running my mouth. Not only had I never met Bob before, I had never heard of Bob Kennedy. So I'm talking trash because that's what I do. I hang out with both of them for a while, which I loved. I'm not sure if they loved it as much as me. And I was talking to Bob and he asked me, he's like, so are you a runner? And my response was, I was like, you bet your ass I'm a runner. I said, in fact, I ran a half marathon last week and I broke two hours. And Bob was like, wow. He's like, that's cool. And I said, hell yeah, it is. Uh, so then I asked Bob, I was like, I said, so do you run? And he's like, no, he's like, I don't, I don't really run anymore. So I looked at him and I was like, listen, man, I was like, it looks like things are going pretty good here between uh, you and Christy Beth. But if you want this to last, you better start running. I, of course, clearly had no idea. I was talking to a two-time Olympian and I was like, hey, buddy, I was like running. I was like, you should think about it. Of course, because Bob is the person that he is, he was totally cool about it. And we now laugh about that story all the time. I love to tell it. Uh, I'm sure Bob's probably tired of hearing about it by now. But again, he always handles it well. Uh, Bob is still a runner, of course. He is very involved in the sport. He owns Athletic Annex, which is a running store in Indianapolis. Bob has a son, Marcus, and a daughter, Sophia. They are twins and just finished their freshman year of high school. Sophia is following in her dad's footsteps and is already a great distance runner like her dad. Bob and Christy Beth are getting married 
married in 2021, which is exciting. In this episode, we talk about Bob's running career. We talk about music. We talk about Nashville. Uh, we talk about him and Christy Beth, of course. It was super fun to sit down and interview Bob, and I appreciate him taking the time to swing by and be a part of this podcast. One of my favorite things Bob said was actually after we stopped recording the interview, we were talking a little bit more about the 5,000 and running that in the Olympics. And I asked him what it was like mentally to run 12 and a half laps around a track in a race that is that big. He said that the race is certainly long enough that you have plenty of time to think. He said what you learn is that there are going to be good laps and there's going to be some not so good laps. And that's just part of it. He said it's basically the exact same in life. You're going to have some good, you're going to have some bad, and plenty of in-between. So do your best and make peace with the rest. What a great answer, Bob. I totally agree. Thanks, everyone, as always, for tuning into this podcast. Please tell your friends and family about it or go online and maybe leave a positive review. I always appreciate the support and the feedback. Here we go. One of the all-time greats. Bob Zoom Kennedy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Running the 615 Podcast. This is your host, Drew Jones. I am really excited to be sitting across from my friend, Bob Kennedy, today. Bob, I've already talked about in the intro when we first met. It was a jewel. It's basically how we introduce ourselves together if we're ever in the same place. But I did not know who you were when we first met. I just knew that you were with Christy Beth, who, who, uh, who I'm a huge fan of. What do you remember about a guy who had maybe had a couple Bud Lights talking about my running career when you asked me if I was a runner. Oh, that was, it was great. It was so fun. First of all, it was great to be here with you. So good to uh, see you, Bob. Yeah. Look forward to this. You know, I, I don't really have an expectation that people know who I am, so it never bothers me. And, um, I usually just laugh about it. If you remember, I had a little fun with it. I'm like, well, I'm going to give it a shot. I'll see if I can keep up and things like that. That was uh, the best part about it is is right before I left because we had talked about running. Like, yeah, you know, I'm thinking about it. And I literally like doubled down on it. I was like, hey, man, seems like you and Christy Beth are getting along really well. I was like, think about that running. Yeah. If you want, you said something like, if you want to have a chance at this being long term, you better start running. (laughs) Okay, thanks, man. So good. Well, you are known throughout the country as one of the best American distance runners of all time. In Nashville, you're basically known as Christy Best Fiance. That's right. That's that's where you're at. Yeah. That that is that is your I guess your label going forward. Yeah. And you're okay with that. Totally fine with that. Yeah. Prefer it actually. For sure, for sure. Well, I you know, I'm I really appreciate you being here. I know we could probably uh, talk a, a good four or five episodes worth on your running career, but that's where I'd like to start for sure is is just talking about, you know, how running became a part of your life and then yeah. some of your highlights if you're all right with it. Of course, yeah. yeah. So just when did you start running? How old were you and and what was the kind of the factors that got that started? Yeah, I started running basically seventh grade middle school track where I went to middle school we didn't have cross country so that would have been the early 80s so started running track and it was very relaxed it was very kind of like run around the hallways and play games at practice and have fun and but a little background before that is my dad was a really good runner he was the New Jersey State record holder in the two mile in the late 60s went to Indiana University on a track scholarship and so I was familiar and aware of the sport although it wasn't like hammered into me but I, I knew it existed and so I ran out for track and I remember in eighth grade I ran 516 in the 1600 meters the very last meet of the year, the like big county meet, and I finished sixth, and I got a pink ribbon, and it's like okay, that's a, I guess that's all right, and um, and I went to high school the next year, and and grew, and actually started training a little bit, and 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 it kind of took off from there. But I was laughing the other day. My daughter is a freshman in high school right now. She's a pretty good runner, turning out to be a pretty good runner. She just ran five sixteen in a time trial by herself in the wind last week 
Uh, not, like, yeah. not even a meet, no competition. No just. competition. I'm like, yeah, that was, she's only about a year older than I was when I ran 516. <laughs> wow. So it, well, with your dad being a big runner, it was in the blood for you. It sounds like it's, it's also in the blood for your daughter, but at least through junior high, it was not anything that was necessarily serious or even something that you were planning on per se until high school came around. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just kind of, you think back or I think back and like you just, for maybe I was different or maybe I'm, I was normal, but when I was in seventh and eighth grade, I, I had no idea it was happening outside of about a two foot radius from my brain. Right. For sure. And, um, and so I was just doing what I was doing. I was going to school, I was going to track practice, played football in seventh grade too, and I played soccer and ran track and I was just having fun doing things. And, my freshman year in high school, I was better, like a pretty good freshman runner, but still nothing that was like, oh, that kid's going to be good. Right. I ran 436. Uh, I was, I, I think about it this way. I was 60th in the regional meet in Ohio. It was district meet, regional meet, state meet. No, I was 60th in the district meet. Sorry, I don't even remember the story. I was 60th in the district meet, so the very first like state tournament race. And that was it, right? You didn't qualify, but that was a really good performance for a freshman. Sure. And then the very next year, I was a state runner-up. Wow. So there was grew a like jump five, there. Yeah. Yeah. I grew like five inches. The training started to kick in and then talent started to, you know, show its face a little bit. Right. You were born in Indiana, but then you moved to Ohio when you were how old? Four or five. Four or five. And then in high school all the way through Indiana. So high school is when it started to show it's like, okay, this is, this is going, this is going to be something that I pursue. What was your dad's take on it early on? Do you remember any, any real, like him giving you kind of the green light that, all right, let's, let's, let's give this all you got. Yeah, no, my dad was great. He was really supportive, but he wasn't intimately involved in, oh, you should be doing this kind of training or that or thinking about this race or that race. He was just, he used to every once in a while say to me in high school, not in middle school, like, oh, uh, the best guys in the country are running twice a day. And I'd be like, dad, don't worry about it. And I know what I'm doing. Well, I didn't know what I was doing. But, and so, uh, but he was really supportive and, uh, but not driving. Like I, I was not, I was just doing what I was doing. I didn't really know a lot about what was happening ultimately for sure well i've already you know in your introduction a lot, lot of accolades in your running career and it certainly seemed to be not only something that kept getting better and better but if you just look back on your long running career it's is pretty spread out i mean just a long long time of running do you do you remember the first meet or first race that you ran in that was i guess a light bulb moment like this is something that is really gonna be a big part of my life going forward maybe and i'll preface this with saying everything is kind of in stages so when I was a freshman or sophomore, freshman in high school, I was thinking, oh, hopefully one day I can win a state championship, you know, and I ended up winning five of them. And then I was, school, yeah. yeah, and then I was thinking, go to college, and I, I went to Indiana University, and I was thinking, oh, I'll be a, a little fish in a big pond, right? I'm going to go, and there's going to be these great athletes, and I'm going to learn, and I'm going to get better. And then I won the NCAA cross-country championship as a freshman, right? true freshman, and so you kind of have to keep resetting your sights to something higher. And so when I was a going to college, I wasn't thinking, oh, I want to be a professional track and field athlete and run an Olympics and set American records. Like none of that was in my head. It was just what's next. And I think I was good at changing what's next rapidly. Gotcha. So as I progressed quickly, I would keep moving the bar as opposed to saying, oh, great. That was, that was great. I'm done, you know? Other, so obviously your dad was was probably the first one who instilled running as a possibility. Did you have some coaches or other kind of mentors early on that you felt like were a pretty driving force in your success? Yeah, really, I was, I don't know if it's fortunate, because I don't think I really had, I didn't specifically choose these people, but I had great coaching at every level that was relevant to that level. And so my high school coach in cross country, Irv Christensen, and the assistant coach in cross country, Dave Wiener, and then I had different track coaches, 
Coach Cavan and Coach McKay, they all were really great at understanding that I had talent and their goal was try to get me to the next level, right. not to try to get as much out of me as they can mm-hmm. for their own accolades, right? Oh, that's and huge. that's not normal. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying it's abnormal, but it's there's a lot of coaching out there. Like if I would have run 60, 70, 80 miles a week in high school, I think I had a chance at breaking four minutes of the mile in high school. But I don't. I don't look back and wish I would have done that. They they were, they were seeking uh, college coaches' help on on training and and process and and they had me in their mind as what can we do for Bob to help him get to the next level. And then when I went to Indiana, Coach Sam Bell, who's a legend, who was a legend, passed away a number of years ago. He has so much shaped me as an athlete and as a person, like the next father figure, not oh. replacing my father, but the next father figure of, of being a teacher. He thought of coaching as teaching. So not only just the, the physical training and how you put that together, but also what's going through your head, how you think about things, how you act, how you treat people, all that stuff. Oh, you know? So he, he was probably the biggest influencer for me developmentally. And then uh, Kim McDonald after him, who was also passed away way too young, was when I was more like 24 on, he was a guy, British, he was my agent, my coach. And he just, he just continued to set the bar higher. Yeah. I would say something like, oh, I think I can run, you know, 1259 or break 13. He's like, I think you're on 1252. Like, why aren't you thinking that way? Right. And just changing the the limitations that we set upon ourselves. That's great. And he was great. And then Marcus O'Sullivan was my last coach. And Marcus O'Sullivan, for people who don't know, is one of the greatest milers of all time. He's Irish, went to Villanova. He's still, he's the coach at Villanova right now. And he, he was in the latter stages of my career helping me kind of deal with getting older, changing things to kind of adapt to that. I mean, one of the things he told me, I was going through a really tough time physically. It just wasn't feeling right. It wasn't working. And he just told me, it's like, talent just doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. You just have to let it happen. You're forcing it. Don't force it. Just let it happen. And I, I could have sayings like that from all of my coaches yeah. that I still think about and that I still kind of pull yeah. from. So I was lucky with coaches. I, I didn't have great. a bad one. So when you, did you play sports? Uh, were you, I mean, soccer, basketball, anything else before running started? Yeah. Yeah. Most of them. I played, uh, played a lot of soccer. Um, um, before soccer was cool, I played baseball and I played a little bit of football and, um, yeah. And it, by the time of high school though, it was running only running right? only. Right. So when you, when you look back high school in Ohio and then, you know, your dad ran in Indiana, that was, that was probably set way, way, uh, early on of, of where you'd be going to college. Do you remember any time in high school having races that you consider just like like true pressure cooker situations for like your first kind of taste of uh, you know expectation versus like performance yeah. at the same time yeah certainly certainly especially my senior year in high school my junior and senior year I I think back and I really ran afraid I ran from the front a lot and I ran from the front because I wasn't super confident in my leg speed. So I ran afraid and I was trying to just get away from people Right. and the expectations of when you've, when you've, you know, you were runner up and cross country in the 3,200 a sophomore. And then my junior year, I, I, I won the, the 1600 and the 3,200 and won the cross country and was third in what was then Kinney now footlocker cross country oh, yeah. championships. And then you go in your senior year and now it's like all head, all lights are on you, all eyes are on you. And so that was my first real experience of running with pressure and I didn't mind it. I mean, I was nervous and I, it wasn't like I didn't, it, I didn't think about it. It didn't affect me, but it didn't debilitate me. Oh, that's good. Uh, and um, I just kind of attacked it head on. And I remember my, I still hold the state record in Ohio at four Oh five in the 1600, which I ran in the state meet. Oh, wow by myself like from the from the gun in the lead so pressure bam, expectation bam, bam. aside still performed 
Right. Really well. Yeah. So, did but you, also fearful. Like, yeah. I ran that, but like, I don't want to get beat, so I'm just going to go hard right now. <laughs> yeah, man. That's that's just the interesting thing about running is there is absolutely uh, a bit of science to it. I mean, I'm sure the longer the distance, the more you can tinker with things about how you navigate through a race. What about, so Indiana was where you were headed all along. Did you have any other colleges that were, were oh, possibilities? Oh, I did, yeah. I mean, I think Indiana was certainly um, in the driver's seat just with a history of, I mean, we used to receive, my dad was never coached by Sam Bell, but he was a graduate assistant when Sam uh, first got to Indiana. And so as an alumni, we, Coach Bell used to send out splits and comment sheets. Mm-hmm. So he would give them every week after a meet to athletes but he would send them out to the alumni base in the mail. So we would get this at home in Ohio and I would read through them and it was great. In fact, I was just looking through some old ones my dad had a couple of weeks ago and literally it was every split. So if you ran like the 1600, it'd be every 200 meter split and for every athlete, Indiana athlete and place, but then there'd be comments and the comments were amazing. They would be like, they would be like, uh, Drew Jones in the in the sixteen under in the in the mile got off to a good start, but really just stopped using his brain in the middle of the race and gave up by the end. And you know, just cutthroat right? commentary. Just, yeah. Basically. yeah, and on the the opposite side of that, if you did great, he would call you out, be yeah. like Drew Jones, you ran the best race you've ever run today. Keep you know stuff like that. So, so you were getting to read about athletes that were there at right. Indiana when you were in high school in Ohio, yeah. and that was at least feeding yeah. the interest. Yeah. Man, that's smart. Yeah, that's that's, that's but I also, old school recruiting. It, right yeah, there. and I I. I, when I was a senior or junior, I didn't have in my head that I was definitely going to Indiana. Mm-hmm. So I, I was recruited heavily by a lot, but I, my, my five schools were Wisconsin, Georgetown, Indiana, University of Illinois, which I don't, looking back, I'm not sure why. Uh, Probably because Lynn said, got the chance to run it down. <laughs> and uh, Texas, Stan, legendary coach Stan Huntsman was at Texas at the time. Wisconsin was probably my number two choice. Mm-hmm. And I loved Coach Gagliano from Georgetown. But in the end, Indiana felt like home. And if you really looked at statistics, Coach Bell produced more Olympians than any other college program. Oh, wow. Not more NCAA champions, but more Olympians by far. That's good. And uh, I'm like, okay, that's my place. So when was the first time possible Olympics entered your brain? Do you remember as far I mean, I'm sure it entered your brain throughout uh, throughout childhood. But like as far as like not only is this something that I'm striving for, but something that's also attainable. Right. Well, I think when you win the cross country championships as a freshman, it starts to enter your brain. But that's not that still could be light years away from being an Olympian. Mm-hmm. And then I had a semi injury plagued freshman track season. I still ran solid, but not amazing. And because of that, we didn't go to the U.S. championships. And then my sophomore year, I was second in the U.S. championships at 5,000. Oh, yeah. And it's and it wasn't a fast race. I, I can't remember exactly. It was called 1340-something. But I was second. But all like all the American studs were in that race. Like, And I was like, oh, maybe I do belong up here, right? Yeah. And so... Then you start getting that in your head. And uh, so that would have been um, 1990, two years before Olympic trials. So uh, definitely, I want to get to the Olympics, of course, here in a second. But when you mentioned it a little bit, but when you look at your running career from high school to college to Olympics to pro, it's it's a long one and it's filled with different kind of highlights of success. Is there any factors that you feel are responsible for just your a longevity, B being as successful as you were at it. Um, good coaching. We already said that. That's good coaching. That's Look, and I, I was lucky. That I was born with a certain level of talent, right? Sure. Physical talent that you can't, you can't buy or make up or you know correct for, right? And so, all things being equal, talent is a win is a must have for sure. Um, and so, but you have to take that talent and maximize it. And that's where the hard work is. Yeah. And, um, there's lots of guys that I've, I know who are super talented who didn't maximize it. But beyond that, I have a very methodical personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get too high and I don't get too low. Mm-hmm. Um, and so emotionally, I think I was able to kind of, keep moving forward. I have a short memory. 
good well, checks and balances between your ears. Right. Yeah. yeah. I generally have a short memory. So when things go bad, I, I, I can move on pretty quickly. And then I was very disciplined and I learned early enough. Um, not right away. It takes time to learn. That's what I'm trying to teach Sophia right now. My daughter is every run every day has a purpose, right? And you need to execute to the purpose mm-hmm. recovery VO2 lactate threshold, you know, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And when you start blindly running without understanding what you're trying to accomplish, that's when you shorten things up. Yeah. So did you, you said, you know, I've talked to a couple other friends and, you know, Brooks coworkers and so forth that big runners as well. And a lot of them have a similar story of high school, smaller mileage, 30, 40 miles a week. And then college all of a sudden, boom, like, like you said, your coach could have very well pushed higher mileage on you, but didn't, did you have at least some experience of high school was a little bit more like running and then college got real as far as like a lot more miles, a lot more methodical or, or would you have coaches in high school that were a pretty specific training for you based on your distances? No, it was the, the former. I, I ran in cross country. I probably averaged 35 miles a week in high school. I wasn't a consistent off season runner um, until maybe in my last year or so of high school. And in track, I probably averaged 25 miles a week, more quality. Certainly I wasn't just going out and running eight minute miles. So when I ran, I ran pretty good. And then when I went to Indiana, I'll never forget the first week on campus I ran 66 miles. Long, uh, most you've ever run ever by in like, week one. By Almost. more than double, maybe. Yeah. Or wow. At least double. And I was so sore. So like, I was like, oh, shit. What did I get myself week into? Week one, someone took right. a bat to your body, yeah. basically. Yeah. And Coach Bell had a, we had, we had the very first practice every year was something called the barbecue run. And it was a 10K on the roads, 5K out, 5K back. And, um, and the, the, the premise was that you go out 5K, what we used to call swing, which is kind of this comfortably good, right? It's not easy, but it's not hard. And then when you make the turn, you race for home. And you don't know this as a freshman, but the whole one of the whole points of that is for the upperclassmen to beat the crap out of the freshmen. It's oh, like to, there you go. to be like, oh, we're having fun right now. It's 5K swing. Everyone's happy. They're laughing. And boom, like we hit you. Yeah. And and when I was a freshman, we had some post-collegiates too that were amazing. And so I got the brunt of not only upperclassmen, but post-collegiates. And, and I got drilled. And not drilled, drilled, but drilled more than I thought I would get. And so I was sore and, and I, I had these thoughts of, oh, what am I doing? Not like I'm going to quit, but like, oh, crap, this is, you know, this is a different thing. Yeah. But even college for me was low-ish mileage relative to a lot of college programs. Like mm-hmm. we were running 60s and then 70s. And in my senior year, I was running 80s. And then post-collegially, you know, I was in the hundreds, 110, 120 in base periods. And yeah. so it just kept moving. Well, it sounds like it's a good trajectory, though. I mean, there I do know some that have gone, went from 30 miles a week in high school to 100 in college. Yeah. And I mean, it, I, I would say easily 90% of the runners I've met through working in the running industry and just chatting with people have some form of injury plagued college career right. just weren't really able to get through it yeah you won nationals as a freshman and then again as a senior right yeah fifth at, year senior. Indiana, yeah. yep and then how long was it after college that the olympics were something you were working towards or was it kind of already happening by your fifth year yeah so actually the timing was i ran in the 1992 olympics as a fourth year senior at IU. Oh man. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I got back from Barcelona in 92, still had an, I still, still had, had the cross country yeah. season. Left. Wow. Because the year before that I ran in the world track and field championships in Tokyo as a junior, mm-hmm. which were mid September. 
And so we redshirted that cross-country season. So I, I want to talk about the Olympics for sure. When I think about 92 Olympics, of course, being a sports fan, my mind immediately goes to the dream team. Yeah. Also, because the last dance is, has been the only thing worth watching over the past two months of this quarantine. But talk about, you know, just the kind of the build up to, I guess, qualifying the Olympics and then and then what it was like to get together, especially, man, still in college. That's the coolest. yeah. yeah. The Olympics are special. I tell people all the time, if you've never been to an Olympics, go. Right. I mean, even as an athlete, of course, if you can, that's amazing. But as a spectator, as a volunteer, they're just really, really cool, really special. It's a really amazing time. The world feels good and love and everyone's happy and amazing physical performances and just cool stuff, right? Sure. For me... In 1992, the Olympic trials were in um, New Orleans, and it was hot. The two hottest, most oppressive races I've ever run were that race in, in New Orleans in 92 and the World Championships in Tokyo in 91. Right. Insane. And, you know, it was, it was in 92, I was one of the favorites to make the team, but it wasn't a sure thing. Right. And I've said this before, but the Olympic trials are by far the most nerve-wracking race that I've ever competed in. More so than the Olympic Games. And and it, it's the pressure to make the team. It's the pressure to make the team and it's it's one opportunity on one day every four years. Wow. That's it, right? Yeah. And sometimes you just don't perform well. Sometimes you just get unlucky, yeah. right? You're sick, you turn your ankle a week before I was in a car accident in 2000. I got rear-ended that took me basically out of that Olympic games. Man. So those things can happen. Yeah. Right. And there's, there's very little you can do to control it. So the pressure of performing on that one day, once every four years is immense for me, but that was a, I remember just running around and not really having a plan to try to break away from people. I wasn't that kind of athlete at the time yet. Mm-hmm. But just hoping I would be, I was a very tactically sound runner. And it was, I don't know this to be true or not, but Coach Bell and a lot of the assistant coaches in Indiana always used to tell me that I just had an instinct for being in the right place at the right time during the race. And so, you know, towards the end of the race, I was moving out and making sure that I had running room. And John Troutman, who's an amazing, super talented athlete, took off with, uh, I think, a lap to go or a little more than a lap to go. And he ran, he ran like 51-something for the last lap, 51. And that's not my wheelhouse, generally. But I ran 54 dead. I ran 54 low for the last lap, and I was second Yeah, and made the team. And so, you know, moved on, and that was awesome. Now, the Olympics in Barcelona was a great experience because – it's a whole different world. Like I was better in Atlanta because I knew what to expect. I knew there's a lot going on. The village is crazy. There's just a lot of action. There's a lot of people pulling at you for different things. You can go bowling in the village. You can watch movies. You can play video games. You can eat 24 hours a day, you know, right? all kinds of stuff. And you have to know how to manage that you're still there for the biggest I don't race think of your anybody life. Anybody can ma- manage anything if you're a college. If you're you're, you're right, still, I mean, right. like, placing a college yeah. student in that that atmosphere. Good night. It's like putting a yeah. match in a gas tank, basically. Exactly. And I do. I mean, I was I was still in college. I was. You know, it's a long season. It's different than if you're a pro, timing wise. And I was kind of toast. And I remember running the qualifying heat. And I made it through to the final on time. And I was like, ah, shit. I had to that, run that, another that, one. Yeah, that, that's, I actually remember you telling me, like, you, I, you, you said you knew you were more than likely good enough to make the finals. But if you did make the finals, it, it probably wasn't going to be pretty just like because yeah. you were beat up. And, and when you did actually realize you qualified, there was a little bit of like, damn it. Yeah, it's exactly right. And, and I just wasn't there as an athlete yet like there was no in my best day in 92 i wouldn't have competed for a medal right but i finished 12th you know i think there was not anywhere in the race necessarily and and that set me up for you know 
raising the bar, changing yeah. the bar. And then by the time Atlanta comes around in 96, it's, you've been there before, at least as, as far as like maybe a more calm sense in, in your head, but you're also a stronger runner four years later. Yeah. And then what was that build up like? I mean, the Olympics being in the United States, I yeah. imagine makes it a little bit more, just a little bit cooler, right? With, yeah, with yeah. people that, you know, fans there for you. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Certainly like the opening ceremonies when the Team USA comes out was amazing, you know, different than Barcelona. And so that's really cool. But I um, I had been in Europe racing. In fact, I'd run 1258 already in Stockholm before the Olympics and I'd run 731. So I was fit, rolling, ready to go. And that was a very deep field. I would say there's probably 10 guys who had legitimate shots at medals in that field. And back then we ran a preliminary heat on Thursday, semifinal on Friday and a final on Sunday. So it was three, five thousands in four days. So a whole different world, right. Than just showing up and running a fast 5,000. And so, but you're right. I was ready to, I was, I kind of knew how to manage energy better. In fact, I came from London to Atlanta, did the opening ceremonies and then flew back to Indianapolis because, um, track is always the second week. And I was the one of, I I was the last few days of the Olympics period, flew back to Indianapolis and then came back. I I don't remember when, but just call it, you know, Monday before Thursday race and was nervous. And I remember running on an easy jog one day down Atlanta with Frank Amara, who was a great Irish runner, ran at Arkansas. And he's like, uh, how you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm okay. He's like, He's like, what's the problem? I'm like, I'm nervous. And he goes, well, why are you nervous? I'm like, Frank, it's the Olympics, man. Like, (laughs) (laughs) If I'm not nervous now, when am I? Exactly. And he kept asking me, but why are you nervous? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just nervous. He goes, well, how's training going? I'm like, it's great. He knows the answers. He goes, how's racing going? He goes, I said, it's great. I ran 1258 or 730. He goes, then why are you nervous? I'm like, I'm afraid I'm going to finish last. That's it. That's all that. And then it clicked like i now give speeches about why are you nervous right but when you when you peel the layers back then you get some clarity and you can control that and so he's like you've you've trained better than you ever trained you've raced better than you ever raced you're ready to go i don't know if you're going to win or finish 10th but you're going to run well right like okay you're right i'm going to run well that's good that you came across him yeah so then in that actual race, I've talked to you about this one before too, but just, just walk me through that particular final race in Atlanta. Yeah. So I just mentioned third race in four days, which even slower, I think 1340, 1325-ish. They're not crazy to the well, but they take something out of you. Mm-hmm. So we had... Were you able to run those to, if with any kind of mindset of like, you know, I do feel like I'm going to be running again tomorrow in the final. Oh, so there's... Yeah. Okay. So there's at least some degree yeah. of... Yeah. I, I approached that Olympics with, I'm going to try to win a medal. Right. So you have to, you have to manage through that. Yeah. Right. And everybody who knows running, when they hear me ask that question, we like moron. <laughs> They're like, of course. No, it's- no, it's, it's no, but no, you're right. Yeah. Some people don't think about that. And, uh, we were, I, I, to digress for one second, I was watching a replay of the 2019 world championships with my daughter a couple of nights ago, just on TV. And we were watching the women's steeplechase qualifying heats. And I was just talking through with her about the mindset and what you're trying to do. And if you're Emma Coburn versus, you know, someone who's just happy to be there right now and how that changes your, how you approach a qualifying heat and how you race it and how you would do something different there that you might do or not do in a final. And it was great. It was a great conversation. But so anyway, the final of Atlanta, I'd run 1258. I had pretty good finishing speed, but they're much like the New Orleans Olympic trials. There were guys in that race who on a slow pace could close in 50, 51, you know, 52. I could close in 54, 55, but I can close in 54, 55 on almost any pace, almost. So my range, like I, I didn't have a big difference in, in my closing speed, whether we were running 1350 or 13 minutes. And so Kim McDonald was coaching me at the time and, and we, we basically kind of designed a, a thought process, a plan, like, look, if it's a slow race, we got to run for home with four laps to go, right? Like you got to start turning the screws and really run that 51 out of those guys. And if it's a fast race, you know, 
you go for home with 600 to 800 meters to go. In the end, it ended up being a medium pace race, which, you know, logically, if you're listening to this, you're like, hey, slow four laps to go, fast two laps to go. Where's medium, right? It's three laps to go. I didn't do that. We went through and right about eight minutes for 3K, which is 1320 pace, so medium. And I um, went to the lead with two laps to go, strung it out purposely, purposely trying to run kick out of people. I ran 157 for the last 800 meters. And got drilled. Yeah. In <laughs> Not the last, drilled. In the last lap? In the last basically 500 meters. Right. Niangabo was a great miler. Like a, I forget what he ran 1,500 in, but call it 328 or 27, or maybe even faster. Paul Betok, who was a Kenyan that I trained with, was in my training group. One of the best finishers and racers I've ever known, just right. instinctively and speed. And he was a silver medalist. And then Khalid Balami was a Moroccan, was a really fast finisher. And then Dieter Bauman, Thomas Niariki is a Kenyan, also my training group, nipped me at the line for fifth. But I, to this day, you rerun that race in your head, which I, I don't do often. But when I do, you're like, oh, if I would have gone three laps to go. But mostly, I'm fine. Like I walked off that track saying I took the shot. Right. And that's one thing that I believe strongly in is take your shot, right? Be smart about it. Be intelligent. Don't be reckless about taking your shot. But don't walk away from a race, a meeting, an event and go like, I wish I would have tried this, right? Try it. Take the shot. And you got to, we can go into this a lot. I'm big, I believe a lot in, in, understanding accepting failure as part of being as great as you can be. Right. And if you fear failure and if you shy away from it and you try to avoid it, then you're never going to find out how good you can be at something. And yeah. failure's hard. Yeah. It's hard, but it's necessary. Well, that's a good kind of retrospect to look back on it knowing that you that you took the shot and it sounds like that was that was the plan going into it that you and your coach had discussed it. I mean, you know, in the middle of running a 5000, you, you know, you probably tried to make decisions in your brain, but it's got to be a little bit blurry for sure. But to, you know, look back on it and say, well, maybe if I would have gone a lap sooner, maybe it made a difference. But in the end, you you took your chance, what you knew you wanted to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool though. Two, two time Olympian and uh, a lot of accolades in between the, the, you did mention one part that I wanted to talk about. Were, were you not one of the first American runners to go to Africa and train with Kenyan runners? Is that, that, that is not true. And, um, but it's a very common, um, people mi- misconception. Have, okay. And I think it was even in some articles where I had trained in Kenya, but I never did. I trained with a big group of Kenyans through Kim McDonald a lot, but we we trained in England, we trained in Australia, we trained in Palo Alto sometimes, but never in Kenya. Okay. It was, okay. So there wasn't, uh, you were training with Kenyan runners, just not actually training in Kenya. So just look at, looking back on it, Bob, when you look back at just like running and obviously as the bigger part of your life is, is it's been, what's your, what's your take from the sport of running as far as just like what it's kind of done for you in your life. And then maybe what's something, a reason you would encourage somebody to to pick up the sport yeah those are great questions for me personally i think it helped shape how i approach life work you know where i mentioned earlier i'm pretty steady i don't have big highs and big lows but i learned to hone that through running through athletics and so and also taking shots like in business you know i've taken some shots and failed in business I've also taken some shots and have been pretty successful and I'm not afraid to plan some things out and, and take some shots. There's a, I, I like to use the uh, phrase that, you know, you can plan and prepare, plan, prepare, train perfectly. But if you're truly going to find out how, how good you can be, there's always this moment where you have to take a leap of faith into the unknown. Yeah. There's this moment where you're like, I'm not sure I can get there. I'm not sure that's going to work out. Yeah. And you either take that leap or you don't. Yeah. Now the goal is to kind of shorten that gap. Sure. <laughs> so the leap isn't, uh, the leap can be uh, done through the planning and the training. The right. leap has more of a chance it's exactly, of success. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So that's been a huge benefit to me. But I think as far as encouraging others, I've been through 
I would say, going on a full life cycle. And I think that a lot of people, um, well, there's a lot of athletes like this who run professionally or collegiately at pretty high level and then keep running. Like it's a big part of life. They're still running every day and they love it and they're running road races. And then the other side of that, flip that coin is they don't run ever again. And I'm in the middle. Yeah. Like when I stopped, when I retired, I didn't run for three years, uh, two and a half years, not a step. Retired truly away from it. Truly away from it. I didn't follow the sport. I didn't read letsrun.com or follow the results. And people would text or call me, oh, did you see what, you know, Ritz and I did? I'm like, oh, no. And then I might look it up. But right. And then I, I kind of missed it a little bit. Not the, oh, I always miss competing. It's kind of in my blood. But I started running. And it took me a while to learn how to run for joy yeah. and not for um, result. Right. And, um, but when I found that, it was cool. And so now I, I, like I have this thing where I just don't want to suffer. Yeah. So I, I, if I'm out running, sometimes it still pops into my head and I find myself kind of grinding a little bit and I'm breathing. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, slow yeah. down. The um, best thing you have said in this interview so far is you just made me realize that I share common characteristics of a two-time Olympian because my entire running career has consisted of not wanting to suffer. So yeah, um, yeah. that's great insight, man. I mean, there's just a lot of things you can do really in any sport, but running is is unique in the sense that it is a something that you you kind of sign up for the suffering when you, when you, you know, right. get into it. Um, I'd also add, sorry to interrupt you, no. that in the business of run specialty, and I've found this, I, I almost have as much or more joy watching people who aren't runners find joy in it. Oh, and, sure. and they're not wow. running fast. Yeah. But the, the sense of accomplishment that they see in the emotion, I never understood why someone running two hours and a half marathon would be crying crossing the line. I do now. Sure. Like yeah. I get it. I see it. Yeah. I'm like, that is awesome. And I believe that most, not all, there are some circumstances where it doesn't work. Most people can do it. Yeah. No, that's for sure, man. That, that seeing the sense of accomplishment in people, because that's a cool thing about running is that, you know, there are other sports, football, basketball, soccer, where at least some degree of your success is reliant on your teammates or, you know, other scenarios, but in running, man, it's, it, you know, it's entirely you good or bad. And when you are able to complete something that basically you put yourself through, that's a neat thing to see in people's faces. Also back to the first day I met you, when you asked me if I was a runner, that was literally my response. I was like, shit, yes, I'm a runner. Absolutely. Bob. I was like, just broke two hours in the country music half marathon. Yeah. I was like, look, look at what you're looking at here. You're like, this high. is a runner. And in your mind, you're like, yes, well, clearly. <laughs> uh, and you're still celebrating. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so here's one more question about, about running your wife to be Christy Beth guest number one on running 615 yeah. and, and, truly the lady that helped me get into this running industry, which I love being a part of, uh, as, a, um, as a career, is there a race distance now where you would come in second place as if you were racing Christy Beth, as far yeah. as like at what, what distance does Christy Beth become the favorite? Oh, wow. Definitely anything over 10 K, but possibly anything over 5 K. Gotcha. Anything under 5 K, I might still, I probably muster it up. Right. But, and anything that requires climbing. Yeah. And we did. Oh, she taught rim to rim to rim, rim to rim yeah. to rim. And I mean, she beat me, not that we were racing, but she finished about two hours ahead of me. Oh. She's like a little mountain goat up those things, up yeah. those inclines. Those are funny stories, though, because uh, that's I, one of her favorite runs she's ever done. Oh, it's she beautiful. Said, like, the coolest. It's beautiful. But I finished, and I don't remember the time, call it 18 hours, five days, whatever it was. She'd been done for a couple hours. She comes down to the trailhead, bouncing, bopping around. She's like, hey, good job. And she's like, I'm like, get away from me. <laughs> Don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, that's why you and I are kindred spirits, because I have another similar story involving me running a half marathon. A girl that I was dating at the time played soccer in college, like an amazing runner. And she is she had literally been participating in the sport of running less than a year and decided to run the half yeah. marathon. She runs like a 122, gets second 
overall in this particular half marathon, I run like my standard 158 or whatever. And when I get done, I come through the finish line and she's been there like probably post nap. And she's like, oh my gosh, Drew, you did so good. <laughs> and I was like, really? Eat shit. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was my direct response. I'm like, really? Am yep. I good? Like, oh, jeez. <laughs> but I did. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. So let's talk a little bit about Nashville. Yeah. Uh, your, your experiences here. You've been uh, you've been dating Chrissy Beth for a while now. Possibly a future resident one day after um, after you you guys are married, living here. Yeah. There'll be an interview process with that. Okay. This might be part of it, actually. What's your thoughts on Music City and the, and the amount of time you've been here? What's some of your favorite parts of Nashville? I love it. Well, first of all, especially in the winter, when I drive down from Indianapolis, it's always warmer down here. So that's yep. a huge win. But no, it's great. It's, people are awesome. Uh, it's vibrant. We love 12 South. East Nashville's fun. Um, we just we just love, and, and we're not, we don't go out all the time, but when we do, we just we just love going to those kind of parts of town where it's right. it's vibrant and still neighborhoody, and um, it's a it's a blast. I love it. A lot of cool pockets here. So you have you have two children, twins, right? Yep. And they are freshmen. And they are freshmen. So it, you will be in Indianapolis as they get through they get through high school right. before yeah. deciding where where to go after yeah. that. Yeah, and I think uh, you know. And my kids, my son's a really good soccer player and may play college soccer. And, and so who knows where they're going to school. And I still have business in Indianapolis running stores. And so I think that will still rotate, but we'll rotate together as opposed to now we're kind of trying to figure out. Always in between. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know. Indianapolis some, Nashville some. Exactly. But I love it. Love both. And then I'm, I'm a big fan of Colorado. So, you know, um, maybe it'll put a third place in the rotation for sure. So uh, with your store, Athletic Annex in in Indianapolis, is that, is that something that you are just a fan of still being a part of the running industry through that? I mean, it's a great store. It's, it's a great running community in Indianapolis that obviously you're, you're well involved in. Is that something that just brings you happiness being in yeah. running through that way. Yeah. Yes. I, I love going to work every day. Love it. Love it. Love it. I love our team and I love the challenge. So I, I love being part of the community. As we talked about earlier, I love part our business helping and being part of other people's journeys yeah. and watching that journey, even when it doesn't quite work out as they'd hope, it's still a positive experience. And then watching the successes of the person who, and there's a gamut of experiences, right? But the person who comes into the store one day, probably after thinking about coming in 20 times, right? and they're like, I need to start doing something. My doctor said I have high blood pressure or whatever, right? And and they're nervous to come in because they don't really think they deserve, they're not a good runner and they shouldn't be there. And then watching that person a year, two years, three years later, running half marathon or running, running a lot and thinking, and they're like, you changed my life. And I'm like, no, you changed your life. Right. I'm just glad to watch it. We just put the equipment on. Right. I remember when I started working at Fleet Feet, I told Chrissy about that. I, I literally thought I was going to be helping fit all Bob Kennedy's for, for shoes. <laughs> right. like, These guys are going to be in the Olympics. It's up to me. If I don't get them in the right shoe, it's going to be on my shoulders. But to your point, it is people that are wanting to start something new in their life, do something that's kind of meaningful. To yeah. them, and that's I'll, I. I do have people on a regular basis, both in my Fleet Feet days and at Brooks. Like, God, man, like it just seems like like you have such a cool job, and it's so fun, and it's just a cool industry. And my response is, Yep, yes, it is. <laughs> it I wish I could tell you that it absolutely bad. is. It's 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 a fun industry. It's fun people, and there's just a lot of times where you're doing things that have a lot of just self-rewarding feelings to it. And I'm a shoe guy too. I will admit that I've always, ever since, again, going back to the last dance, I, my, my parents got me a pair of the original Air Jordans in 84. And I literally have paid attention to shoes ever since then. So that was a big part of it to get free shoes as part of your career. Never is a bad thing. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk just a little bit about music. If you don't mind, I know that you are a music fan. We've 
actually seen a show together right. recently, which was awesome, man. Like I literally did not know of the band camp, C-A-A-M-P. Right. And my girlfriend and I and you and Chrissy Beth went to that show. And man, that was a good it one. Great. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, that's, that's one of the neatest things to me being a fan of music is going to see a band that literally the week before did not know them, seeing them live, enjoying it. And then now regular rotation, listen to that band. In fact, Ashley and I were supposed to go see camp and the Lumineers in North Carolina in June, which uh, has been kiboshed Mm -hmm. unfortunately, but like a fan of that band. So anyway, to music, have you been a music fan forever? Like, has that always been something you always paid attention love music. to? I'm not a student of it. Like I wish I have friends that be like, Oh, and that guy was in this band and he did this. And I'm like, I don't know all that stuff, but I'm, I've been a fan. It, it, it moves me my whole life. And I definitely have a genre that I prefer. Although I've, I've I like to pride myself. I think I've got range, right? right. I can do an opera, and enjoy it. It might not be something that I want to go to every week, sure. but and I can do uh, all the way through to to country and hip hop and yeah. But but I love. I'm kind of a singer songwriter. I know it's been referred to a lot of different names for genres, but I I my favorite live performance that I've seen is Avid Brothers. I've seen them about five oh, yeah. times live, and. Um, it's just awesome. Just they're, awesome. They're, they're right in your wheelhouse. Right in my wheelhouse. And then I'm a big, I actually think the the greatest singer-songwriter of this generation is Jason Isbell. For sure. And Nashville resident. There yeah, you go, Bob. Exactly. That's why you got to be living here. He is free show tomorrow night is online. He, he and, he and his wife, that. It's a, there's a new place here called Brooklyn Bowl, I okay. believe, which is in Germantown yep. that he's going to be, you know, mostly yep. because of his new album. Yeah, I just um, dropped that yesterday. Yep. Think, I've yeah. seen him a couple of times. He is he is a talented guy. And you're when actually when I think singer-songwriter, that's where my mind yeah. goes. So what, who's a couple other, do you remember just a couple other favorites growing up? Did you have any? Well, my any... first concert, so I grew up listening to my parents' albums. Right. And I still love it, but like uh, Kenny Rogers, who we yep. just talked about before the show. Yep. We had the Staying Alive uh, a soundtrack. Oh, Saturday Night Vine, Fever. Saturday sure. Night yeah. Fever. Oh, uh, what was it? Um, Bee Gees, a lot of Bee Gees. Oh, Beatles albums. Uh, I grew up with that stuff, which I still love. But my first concert was Pink Floyd, The Wall. Holy shit. In Ohio Stadium. So that big stadium epic. concert. That's one of the best concerts yeah. ever. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. That's, um, that's swinging for the fences out of the gates. Yeah. Right. So I did. I actually saw the remake where Roger Waters did The Wall like on, on his own. But oh, really? like with all of Pink Floyd, yeah. man, yeah. that was pretty. Where they, they actually build the wall through the show. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. wow. That's, that's super amazing. cool. I will tell you though that I'm still on the search. I don't think I'll ever find it. the The greatest concert experience I've had was uh, in Bloomington, Indiana, at a place called the Bluebird, which I know there's a famous Bluebird here in Nashville. Yeah. But Bluebird is very much like a basement East. Gotcha. It's that kind of venue, right? Um, smaller standing room, you know, stage right there. And I saw for ten dollar general mission, saw Mumford and Sons. And then they were on the Grammys like three months later. So pre Mumford and Sons being like exploding. Yeah. Right. Man. And, and I'm like on this, I'm I'm on a perpetual search for that next Mumford and Sons at right. the Bluebird experience, uh-huh. which I'm not sure I'll ever find again. But maybe camp. Mm-hmm. We saw them at yeah. Basement East, right? That's true. I mean, I, I was gonna I think Avid Brothers and Mumford Sons are pretty in the same in the same yeah. band. I've seen I've yeah. seen Avid Brothers once at the Ryman actually. Right. And they they are they're a polished act uh, yeah. for sure. Two brothers and the guy with the drum, the kick drum on yeah. the stage. We um, uh we saw Head and the Heart at the Ryman. They were amazing. I, while, while I'm on while I'm on this podcast and and area code six one five, I should I should probably just throw out there to anybody listening. Chrissy Beth and I are getting married next July. You're not all invited, although we wish we could. I've tried uh, to invite some people right. for you. <laughs> Drew's just been inviting people randomly, but we're getting married in a small town in Colorado. Super cool place, and we're looking for a cool band. Like I want a cool band and like in my head I have camp. I don't think I can get camp, but, 
But if, if this we, could, if this coronavirus keeps hanging around, <laughs> I mean, like if there's true. a surge, they'll be looking for something. Right. Next, and this yeah. is not a tuxedo wearing, you know, cut the cake kind of wedding. This is going to be a, I, when I went out there to like book it with this hotel. She's like, "Here's your rehearsal." I'm like, "Listen, here's what this is. Think party Friday night, party Saturday night." So, anyone That's have any theme. ideas for super cool band that fits into the genre just talked about? Get in touch with you. Get in touch with Christy Beth at, through the store. You know, maybe we can work something out for sure. Well, as we've talked about before, I am ordained in the state of Colorado. You, you I also have that. MC duties experience behind me. So I'm not, I can't sing. I won't be able to help out <laughs> on the band bar, but there is a 100% chance that my hand will be on a on microphone at some point in time. I, I figured, okay. yeah. Well, yeah. There, that's already established. Well, last thing on music, if you could go see any band you want, you and Christy Beth, any any band out there, we'll, we'll even, let's get creative, any band, even if they don't even exist anymore. Tomorrow night, you and Christy Beth are going to the Ryman. Who would who would you like to see? It'd be Jason Isbell. Yeah. For me. Now, right. she might say something different, like Beastie Boys. Yeah. But <sighs> Beastie Boys would they'd be good be the too. One, but I'm, I'm like, Jason Isbell's stuff just makes me uh, react emotionally and think and think about myself. And I just, I love it. Yeah. He's the one. Awesome. Well, we are going to move through to something called running the 615 speed sessions. Uh-oh. All right. I asked this before. I, this is going to be a greenest for you. What is your fastest mile of all time? 356. Wow. Sub four. And what year was that? Oh, geez. Uh, 1994. In well, I ran it a couple times. Yeah, I think I did you run it? In high, what was your what was your fastest in high school? You four said or five. four or five, and then you ran sub four a couple times in college. Yeah, a few times in college. Yep, three fifty six. That is moving and grooving. All right, so these are quick questions, uh, Bob. It doesn't doesn't really matter your answers. We're just trying to we're trying to fly through them. Blue. Oh. <laughs> well, actually, I don't even have to ask a question. That's for. <laughs> All right, here we go. Speed sessions. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Night owl. What is your favorite Nashville restaurant? Urban Grub. If you get to pick one of these, which one are you keeping? Coffee, tea, soda, water, or alcohol? Soda. All right. What soda? Diet Coke. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Are you a talker or a listener? Listener. Beach or mountains? Mountains. What annoys you? Some people. (laughs) Certain people annoy me. There you go. Okay. How about this? What is something that is not good for you, but you do it anyway? Um, Overeat. Okay. What is something that is good for you that you wish you did more of? Run. There you go. Would you rather have cookie or candy? Cookie. What kind? Uh, oatmeal raisin. Yes. What are your favorite sports teams? Indiana University Hoosiers, the Colts, and mm. probably Liverpool. And the Dodgers. And the Dodgers. Oh, yes. I forgot about that. That's good. Tennessee Titans probably fifth. Okay. Uh, what, what is your dream vacation spot? Mountains in Colorado. There you go. Coming coming up again in uh, in twenty. Have you seen a show at the Red Rocks? No, but I've been there. Okay, you need to do that. Concert concert at the Red Rocks, maybe Jason Isbell. That's a, that's that's something to put on the map. What is your favorite TV show or movie of all time? TV show of all time. Oh my gosh. Um maybe you're not a TV guy. You I I'm not a TV you, guy. Yeah. What's movies, favorite movie of all time? Movies. Um I got to go with the classic Star Wars, the first one. Um, what was the first one called again? New Hope? Yeah. Does that sound right? Something like yeah. that. What actor should play you in a movie? The best looking one. Harrison Ford? Probably. <laughs> Harrison Ford running around the track of a, of a remake of, uh, of Bob Kennedy. What is the best way to recover after a long or difficult run? Uh, ice bath. Ice bath. All right. Anything that you are afraid of? No. Nothing. What is your favorite pre-race song? Did you have any songs you listened to? to- In the 80s in high school, I listened to uh, Danger Zone. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, Top Gun. Top Gun Kenny Loggins. Yeah. Absolutely. That's gold. When you run, are you watch or no watch? Watch. Okay. And what would you say if you are a Nashville resident would be the best part of living in Nashville? The weather. Yep. Would you rather go on an airplane or a road trip? Road trip. Something you want to do before you die? Alaska. Alaska. All right. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Breakfast. What makes you happy? Life. Life. Happy life. We said this a little bit. What has running taught you? There's always tomorrow. Yep. Live to see another day. Yeah. And is there any misconception about you? Uh, I think people think I'm really serious all the time. 
Well, I know that's I'm not, not true. Yeah. Get you around Rick Wilhelm. You're not serious. <laughs> Is there anything in life that people get wrong? Just your opinion. Some things that people feel like they got a grasp on. You're like, no, nah, that's actually not the case. I think it evolves for everyone over time. But I think sometimes we all think too short term. We're not seeing the big picture and we're not seeing the differences in others. Yeah. Uh, great. Who inspires you? You do. Yeah. Well, for running my mouth. I'll take that. Uh, do you have a favorite book or a favorite quote? Yeah, my favorite book is A Hope in the Unseen. Yeah. Which is a, a, a book about a kid out of Baltimore projects, basically. It goes to Brown, just a, di- a book on different life experiences. A Hope in the Unseen. Hope in the Unseen. Yep. What piece of advice would you give your younger self? Open your eyes more. Open your eyes more. Is it better to be physically tough or mentally tough? Mentally. Would you rather run in the hot or the cold? Cold. Last question. What is the purpose of life, Bob Kennedy? Joy. To find joy. Yep. Yeah, that's good. Man, Bob, thanks for being here and and, uh, sitting in on running the 615. Now that you and Christy Beth have both been a part of this podcast, it's pretty much a family thing now that that you guys are- You can shut it down now. Involved. Yeah, that (laughs) that basically wraps up this series. Man, I've always been a fan of yours, Bob. I I love that when I I met you and, uh, you know, obviously it's just a funny way to meet, especially because my coworkers are all, you know, they know what what a great runner you are and big fan of yours. So I like, I love to tell them that story but you handled it super well and you know have been uh, a cool guy to chat with ever since then and i do appreciate you coming by and being here and joining this podcast my pleasure it's a lot of fun and anytime we get to hang out that's a plus so yeah we got concerts in the future hopefully some more titans games the only one you've been to that i was at as well the titans won yeah but i think since we've been friends the colts are up on the titans about 19 games to two I feel like that might be the the that might be the rivalry in the division here in the next few years yeah for, for the next few years yeah. what your, what's your thoughts on philip rivers as your quarterback? i think he's the right fit for the short term they're yeah. gonna use him happy you got him yeah no doubt and we'll definitely get some more concerts in the future too if that's all right yeah absolutely yeah thanks Fun. for being here thank Bob. you appreciate it